0: You're listening to Men of Abundance, episode 223, with Andy and Al. And today we're talking about breaking through bias to live your life of true abundance.
1: Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, Former Army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael.
0: What is going on, all of you amazing abundant leaders out there? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community. And the basic topic for today is biases. Now, I seldom overgeneralize, meaning I seldom put all people into one group of behaviors. And for good reason, quite frankly. I mean, to say any group of people behaves a certain way, good or bad, based on their gender, ethnicity, race, sexual orientation, or any other classification is quite frankly ignorant. However, I will say we all have a bias or two, some of us more than others. Rather, our bias is towards skin color, body composition, a person's vocation, or even rather if they drive a car or ride a motorcycle you have a bias about a certain group of people and their behaviors. The specific bias we're talking about today though is specifically focused on gender bias and rights in the workforce. Our featured guests today, Andy Kramer and Alton Harris, are going to share with us their work and experience with gender bias and our responsibilities as men of abundance. It is quite frankly our responsibility to ensure that disparate treatment is not condoned in the workplace and if you're an employee it's your duty to report it and if you're an executive or a boss or a supervisor manager it is your duty to address disparate treatment within the workplace and i'm telling you as business owners out there it is absolutely vital to your business that you ensure that everybody is being treated fairly not just because it's the law And not simply because it's the right thing to do. It's also an amazing business practice. It makes your business thrive. I mean, think about it. Everybody has different experiences. Every man, woman, everybody of different cultures, they all have different business practices and they all have something unique to bring to the table. Why would you put enough trust into somebody to hire them into your business, but then discount what they have to say even though they're working within your business and they have very good ideas that could make your business thrive. Well, that's in part the conversation that we're having today with Andy and Al. Now, I'm not going to read through their entire bio because between the two of them, they have an impressive background. I strongly encourage you to go to menofabundance.com forward slash 223 if you're not already on the site and check out their background and check out their bio. I have it all printed out there. But in short, Andrea S. Kramer is a partner in an international law firm where she is a founding member of the firm's Diversity Committee and Gender Diversity Subcommittee. Andy is co-author with her husband, Alton B. Harris, of the book Breaking Through Bias, Communication Techniques for Women to Succeed in Work. She is also the co-author of over 150 articles and blog posts on promoting diversity and overcoming gender stereotypes and bias. Al B. Harris was a founding partner of the law firm Ungaretti and Harris, I hope I pronounced that right, which is now part of Nixon Peabody LLP, where Al is a partner. At Ungaretti and Harris, Al served for many years as a managing partner and then as a member of its executive and compensation committees. In these roles, he had extensive experience mentoring and advising women in many career fields, focusing on communication skills they need to advance in their chosen fields. Despite the prevalence of negative gender stereotypes, Al speaks to women about what male colleagues expect from future leaders, offering creative ideas and useful techniques to be seen as talented leaders. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Andy and Al. Andy and Al, welcome to Men of Abundance. I'm so excited that you're here. How are you doing? We're doing great today. How are you? Wonderful. Where are you at in the world?
1: Chicago. Chicago. Um, yep, Chicago.
0: Chicago. <laughs> I have not been there. I've got several friends that are there. In fact, one of my um, most amazing past guests, Christian Picciolini, and he is a former white supremacist um, and uh, and now has a program out there in Chicago that he started in Chicago called Life After Hate. Um yeah, oh my amazing, amazing conversation. I'll have that show linked up in the show notes. Um, I like to start out the episode the way I start out every single morning, which is with an attitude of gratitude. What do you have to be grateful for today?
1: Well, one of the things to be grateful for today is that we're upright and conscious. <laughs> That's always important.
2: Yes, I think uh, I think we're 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 grateful this morning because our daughter texted us early this morning to tell us that uh, she's doing just fine in her fifth week of her first year of residency. in After
1: uh, medical school. After medical
2: school. So uh, she was feeling pretty good, and whenever she's feeling pretty good, we feel very good and very grateful. Well,
0: I'll tell you what. I've been in the medical field for many years, and I've worked in hospitals, military hospitals, and interns have no life. They literally live in the hospital. I mean, I was in charge of five sleep rooms, um, where the interns slept and <laughs> they, you know, God bless her. And that means it, that is very, very important that she's doing well because it's not an easy thing to go through.
1: Uh, no. And, uh, so, uh, when we get the, the sad faced, um, text, it's always great to get one where, where actually she said that, the. Um, the, the senior doctor, uh, was very complimentary, told her that she was, um, uh, performing at the level of a second year resident instead of a five week old resident. And her response to us was, um, I know that that was just a total lie, but it made me feel so much better.
0: (laughs) Take every compliment you can because them, them, uh, head doctors, uh, them guys in charge, they have no room to give compliments. Just, just, you know, (laughs) on the on the whim they mean what they say
1: uh, well i'll tell we'll tell yeah. her that 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 makes it an even more grateful Absolutely. day
0: so how would you to to describe yourself?
1: Well, we're both lawyers, and um uh that's sort of uh i refer to that as my 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 vocation, but um uh, my avocation is really trying to move the needle and uh change the world for uh working women so that they get a fair shake
2: well i've uh, i've been a lawyer now for over 50 years which will give you some idea of my age and uh his I would wisdom de- his wisdom i think that uh, i would describe myself as a uh, as a lawyer who's discovered uh, a new vocation relatively late in his life and that is writing talking and uh trying to figure out how to make the world better for both men and women in their relationships with one another.
0: Excellent. I absolutely love that. I really love that because you you said both men and women. I've had conversations with many guys over the years and obviously you know throughout men of abundance and there's a whole background as to why I called it men of abundance and why I specifically coach with men. But I always say, you know, guys there's all we we have so much to learn from women. And we have a lot to learn from each other. So what kind of got you into the line of work that you two are doing? It's extremely important. And we could not possibly cover the conversation that I want to have in this episode, in this conversation, in the short time that we have. But briefly explain to us what kind of got you into what you're doing now and what really drives you.
1: Well, for me, um, uh, I was... Uh, served for a number of years on my law firm's management committee and uh, compensation committee. And when I joined the compensation committee, what I saw immediately was that the self evaluations that were written by men were self evaluations about how great they were, how they were single handedly solved the problems of the world, had Climbed to the top of the Empire State Building, circled around and figured out how to rescue the most damsels in distress on the way down. And oh, by the way, saved the client half a billion dollars. And the woman who had come up with the legal um, theory that saved the client that half a billion dollars would write her self-evaluation along the lines of, I was on the ABC team and I worked with so-and-so and so-and-so and -and and -and so-and-so. And we saved the client half a billion dollars. And so who do you think was making more money? It was not the woman. And so that started me with self-evaluation do's and don'ts, which my firm originally offered to the women lawyers, and then we opened it up to everybody the second year. And now, um, you know, 20 years later, about um, uh, men and women will take the these refresher courses and um, I have taught them around the country and so that was sort of the starting point of seeing that um, we don't have a level playing field and it is something that both men and women can benefit from.
2: I think for me it was the recognition um, that in the law firm that I had started, which I was convinced was absolutely bias-free. Uh, that we were about as uh, uh, about as meritocratic uh, as as we could possibly be, and yet what was happening was that the women in our law firm weren't doing much better than they were in other comparably sized firms, and. That was a wake-up call for me, that there was something else going on, that thinking you were unbiased, thinking that you were pure of heart was not enough, that in fact there were unconscious, implicit um, motivations, expectations, biases that were in fact working against women, and that I needed to find out how they operated, what they were doing that was making it so much more difficult for women to succeed than the men. And uh, that's what I've been about the last 10 years.
0: And what did you find from that, How? What I found was
2: that there were there was a, a sense that when we thought about leaders, uh, the image that came to our mind was of an aggressive, competitive, decisive, independent, rational, unemotional man, that when we thought about women, we thought about them as sweet and kind and nice and modest and pleasant and uh, people we wanted to be around but uh, would rather have on our library committee than on our compensation or management committee, that what we found was that when we picked the lead lawyer, first chair in a litigation matter, or the lead negotiator in a m and uh, we immediately, reflexively, automatically went for the man rather than the woman. That we didn't do it uh, maliciously, but we did it unconsciously. And What I found was we needed to have procedures, techniques, tricks to stop us from acting on those unconscious biases.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I've seen this in in so many different uh, venues. As we were talking pre-show, I was an equal opportunity advisor uh, to two two two-star generals when I worked in the Pacific region in Hawaii. That was about three years of doing that. And um, more recently, I think it was my wife actually that posted a a video on Facebook in reference to these biases and their unconscious biases. And we don't want to do them, but we do. And the the specific video I'm referencing was about an orchestra, about they were doing auditions for this world-renowned orchestra. And what they did was instead of having the... Auditions face to face, they would have the auditions behind a curtain, and they didn't know if the uh, artist, if the musician, was male or female. And when they did the auditions face to face, by far, majority of those that were selected were men. When they were done behind a curtain, it was about half and half. If and it actually weighed a little bit heavier on the women's side, quite frankly.
1: Right. In fact, the blind audition. Concept. It started because there was a music uh, music critic who said that women were not suitable for the symphony mm-hmm. and that he could identify a, a, a musician as a male or female without seeing who they were. And that's what started the blind auditions, where now we have 50-50 pretty much uh, in, um, uh, in the symphonies. But one other thing that happened is that the women would take their shoes off And when they walked over to their instruments so that the judges couldn't get a sense of who it might be if they could hear their shoes as sounding differently from a man's shoes.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for uh, clearing that up and actually filling in the gaps because I just vaguely remember that. But that's extremely important to understand. It It would be nice if so many other selections could be that way, but it's just not entirely possible in many cases. So... You know, I want to kind of get into some of the your, your kick-in-the-gut moments in rather personal life or in this industry um, that kind of drove you to – may have driven you because I find a lot of kick-in-the-gut moments do drive people to what they currently do in um, contributing to humanity, uh, if you will, because I find a lot of them really do go that far. So if you would, share a kick-in-the-gut moment with us and really make us feel that.
1: Well, one of the key things that we find is we've written a book together, uh, Breaking Through Bias, Communication Techniques for Women to Succeed at Work. And it's really about tricks that women can use in gender biased workplaces to overcome the stereotypes and the biases that they confront. And one of the sort of kick in the gut moments for me was as a fairly young lawyer, I was invited to speak on a live um, TV news program about a, 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 a legal topic. And I was told I'd have five minutes with the news reporter beforehand to, you know, get familiar and talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, and the topic was going to be about X. I show up at the, at the studio, and when I get motioned into the chair to sit next to the news guy, uh, the producer screams, for and I said minutes and the guy said seconds. And the he said it right before that, he'd said, We're gonna talk about Y, not X. And I'm like, Well, I was invited to talk about X, and I'm not here to talk about Y. And that's when we got the four. And what happened for me was I remembered a recurring sort of stress dream that I'd had as a child where I went to third grade, and I took off my winter coat, and I had left my brownie uniform at home so that I was naked. And the first thing I thought when he told me that it was three seconds instead of three minutes was, did I put my suit on in the morning? And I looked down to see if I had my clothes on, and that struck me as so funny that when I looked up, I had a big smile on my face, and I don't have a clue what we talked about, but everybody said I did great. And the kick in the gut moment for me was that what I figured is that in a really tough situation, you have different ways of dealing with it. And one way to deal with it is to try to have a coping sense of humor to, and to understand that you need to expect the unexpected.
2: My Mine was, I think, very different. The the When I was a... Young lawyer, I'd probably been out of law school two or three years. I was with a very prestigious law firm here in Chicago, and I thought I was the cat's meow. I was really hot stuff. And uh, the senior partner took me out to lunch one day and said, how do you think you're doing? And I said, well, I think I'm doing great. And he looked at me and he said, well, I think you're doing terribly. You're not showing up on Saturdays after you ask secretaries to come in to work for you. You're late to work a couple of days a week and uh, you're not getting your projects in when they're due. I think you're right on the edge of uh, not making it here unless you clean up your act. And if there was ever a kick in the gut, I I thought I'd been kicked in the gut uh, over and over, over and over. Uh, here I was. Uh, I was just a terrific lawyer. I had all the confidence in the world. And all of a sudden I was told I was uh, about to lose my job. Well, that was a life changing moment for me. I changed my work habits. I changed my attitudes. And um, I was eventually made the youngest equity partner in that law firm in its history. And uh, I credit it all to uh, that wake-up call that that senior lawyer managing partner had given me that uh, told me to step back and uh, take a different perspective on myself, that I was not the hotshot I thought I was, but that I had to Judge myself from other people's point of view, not just my own.
0: You know, sometimes we have these conversations, and I always, you know, I learned from Les Brown and and just from my own experiences. Don't let other people's um, opinions of you, you know, dictate who you are and and how good you are. But at times, like in a case like that, when a senior executive is bold enough to sit down with you and tell you that you're not doing as well as you think you are, you know, that's very valuable information. And my experience has shown me that executives are more willing to do that in many cases. And those conversations are more common between men than they are with male senior executives, and the female executives, which kind of allows these women to crash and burn. Uh, without realizing what the hell's going on, they never got a chance to really grow through their uh, problems or through you know thinking they're hot stuff, and in reality they're not. But nobody had that conversation with them. What are your thoughts on that and experiences?
1: Well, you're you've got. Um... You've got it absolutely right because it's an uncomfortable conversation and men are comfortable having those sorts of conversations with other men. But with women, instead, what they'll do is they'll just stop working with her so that they won't give her, and it's the same problem that people of color face in the professions Mm -hmm. as well because people don't want to have that difficult conversation. And so if it's somebody who's not like you, who doesn't look like you, Um, then you're much more reluctant to have that serious conversation. Uh, And it does hold women and people of color back.
2: But I think that there are uh, um, dynamics at work that um, force that to happen. I think that men are very concerned that if they have a difficult conversation like that with a woman that she will become emotional, that she may cry, that she will behave in ways that will make him feel uncomfortable. And so as a result, the man simply doesn't have that conversation, really out of fear, concern that He's going to be placed in a very difficult situation in which he won't know how to respond.
1: And, and, and that reaction could have absolutely nothing to do with how she would react. Because uh, women very often, um, men think that women cry because they're weak and um, uh, you know feel bad and, and apologize and whatnot. When in reality, most of the time in my experience and in the experience of people that I've worked with, is that when you get a woman to cry, it's when she wants to rip your heart out. She's angry, but there aren't um, the the ways of showing anger uh, are not as is open to women because of the stereotypes and the biases. So they have to kind of tamp it down, and that's very often when they'll cry.
2: But also, I think in our book,
1: <clears throat> one of the things that we
2: try to emphasize is that. In order for women to encourage those kinds of conversations, in order for women to be certain that their male bosses feel comfortable with them, criticizing them, giving them the feedback that they need, is to actively encourage it, to make it very clear that they are uh, anxious to hear the good and the bad, to behave in ways that Make it
0: um,
2: very obvious that they're
1: easier to have that conversation.
2: Easier that uh, they don't cry in the office, uh, they aren't emotional, and sometimes that's hard for women. But I think if women are going to make certain that they get that criticism, that conversation, part of it rests with them. Part of it, obviously, is with the men as well. But it's a two way street. And both the senior men and the junior women need to work on this problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've personally, my experience when uh, I hadn't, as a leader in the military, I had not worked with women at all until I was, you know, almost eight years in. And then I ended up in an organization in Germany. And the first time I had to reprimand a female soldier, she, she started crying and, right, and I had I did not know how to react to that at all. And, you know, I learned over time and it still is there's I know the ones that when I have a conversation with them, how they're going to react. And I just kind of prepare myself for it. Or a lot of leaders, including myself, will just avoid it as long as possible, um, which isn't fair to right. them. It's not fair to the other soldiers. It's not fair to the coworkers, workers uh, And it's just a tough Uh, situation to be in being a man I can speak on that perspective Um, but of course I've worked with female soldiers as well who you know are not criers and would definitely you know push back react just like anybody else I'm normally used to working with in my uh, career prior to that
1: Mm -hmm. what are some of the
0: good news stories that have come out of the work that you two are doing
1: well, to stay in the military for a minute, um, uh, with our with our book and uh, the speaking and the um, the blogs and the writing that we do, we get a lot of re- reactions back from um, uh, people around the country. And uh, one that really resonated with us was a uh, response from a fellow who had been in the Marines and was now a lieutenant in a Uh, fire department in a major uh, metropolitan city. And in our book, we talk about benevolent bias, which is basically when somebody assumes that you're really um, not, don't have the same skill set, aren't as capable. uh, And very often men will will exercise benevolent bias um, on women where they'll tell them they don't need to worry about Uh, staying late or getting this project done or or toting the same weight of fire hoses as um, you know as they ask the men to do and the problem with that is that the women don't get to advance in their careers as far or as fast as the men do because they're not getting the same opportunities and this um, fire lieutenant uh, wrote us that uh, the thing that resonated the most with him about our book was the fact that he had always thought he was doing a favor to the women that were under his command when he was in the Marines and in the in the fire department by not asking them to do certain things. And he now realized that that had been a mistake and that he needed to reconsider how he doled out assignments and how he did deal with the women under his command.
0: Yeah, that is... Um... <laughs> Stay, it's funny because in the military we always try to think that, and you know, that we're staying on track, that we're really giving everybody the same opportunities. The fact of the matter is, in the military, everybody is paid exactly the same based on your pay grade. There's no there's no discrimination there whatsoever. Where the discrimination comes in, in my experience, is when similar to that, very similar to that, is both like you said, gender as well as minorities or anybody that Mm -hmm. you just generally don't like because of their where they're from whatever the case may be is you give other people various opportunities that you don't the rest of the folks and it's 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 what i refer to as a sophisticated bigot um in that you can put on you can show that look i'm affording the same opportunity to everybody to go to the same courses the same schools military and civilian but I'm doing it a little bit different if you dig in a little bit deeper it, because you'll see that what's really happening is while I'm affording you the time to do it, I'm putting you on extra, on additional duties uh, or I'm setting this one up and saying, hey, you need to go take this course. The difference is, is I, the guy that I like, the person that I like, I'll say, you need to go take this course. No, oh, by the way, this is the person you need to go talk to. Here's the phone number. Here's the, you know, the the course study. This is all, you know, they set them up for success. And the other ones, they just kind of afford the opportunity, so they can say, hey, I'm giving them all the same opportunity. But the fact of the matter is, it's really not happening.
1: Right, because somebody's the one that you helped along is going to uh, end up succeeding and moving further along. And then it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, you know, Joe was really the best guy for it to begin with. Can't you see when in reality, you made it easier for Joe? Uh, and that's really a problem with women in the workplace because very often, especially when women have have um, uh, babies and come back to work after they've had a child, very often, um, many many times, at least in the professions, they don't last as long as they uh, as they might otherwise. And the men's reaction is, "Oh well, now that she's a mom, she doesn't really um, she doesn't really have the same commitment to work," which is a bias. What really happens is she comes back to work, and no one gives her any projects anymore. And they assume that she didn't have a baby, but she had a lobotomy, <laughs> and so all of a sudden she's not. Got, she doesn't have stimulating, interesting projects, and so she doesn't want to stick around. And so um, you can do it both on the positive side, like, you know, telling the telling the person who to reach out to and what the course materials are or on the negative, which is just not giving them the opportunities to show how capable and talented
0: they are. Yeah, Absolutely. And the same goes for giving people very, like you said, giving people various positions and jobs and projects uh, based on your, your biases and your stereotypes. Like women should be typists and they want to work in the office and men should be mechanics and they want to work out in the, you know, out in the field. And, Right. the opposite could very well be true. I've dealt with that many times. Absolutely yeah so what are some other good stories? what is some other than just military?
2: Well, uh, that Andy story was out of our book but uh, I suppose one of the most gratifying examples for me was uh, as a result of the work that we've been do- been doing, I've been asked to coach. Uh, a number of women. And uh, the feedback I've gotten um, in in a number of respects has been most gratifying. One, uh, I've heard now from probably a half a dozen women that uh, they've never experienced a man reaching out and actively trying to help them, that they have had other women support them in their careers, but to find a man who's willing to extend himself, uh, offer advice, and in fact be available for the tough times they have said is uh, uh, unique in their experience. So that's meant a lot to me. Another woman that I coached said that she was uh, involved in a very tricky situation at work in which she was having great difficulty communicating getting along with her, uh, male boss. And, uh, we sat down several times, went through techniques that she might use, uh, why he might be reacting the way that he was. And, uh, at the end of that, uh, she, uh, she and he, uh, went out to lunch together, uh, buried the hatchet as it were. And she got a promotion. So, Working with individual women has made a big difference in my life in recognizing that men have a responsibility, not just to other men, but to women as well, and that uh, women need men's help, uh, just like other men do. And if we all pull together, we can do a lot better
0: yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent, and just thinking of so many different stories that we just don't have time for. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know it's just some of the things i was I was at the park the other day with my little guy, my eight year old, and he was playing with uh, a young man his age, and this young boy had three sisters and the three sisters they were just oh my goodness they were playing tag or hide and seek and the girls were just cheating like crazy and they were getting their way by crying and the brother would sympathize with the youngest one and start hugging on her and stuff like that and then i started thinking about a conversation that i had and just recently with the conversation we just had about the young lady who started crying when i was reprimanding her and i'm like well okay that some of that is because it's it's t- it's a top behavior. The young lady knows that when she starts crying, her brother's going to console her, and she's going to basically get her way. And that goes later on into the workforce. So some of this stuff does come from that. But from what you're saying is, what I get is, the bottom line is just having a conversation. But you're coaching them out through how how to have that conversation with these guys. Is that right?
2: Absolutely. What we found is that just as you bring up the way that men and women are socialized, the way we are uh, raised, the the expectations that are placed on us as young children uh, lead to different communication styles, different expectations, such that women are, in fact, uh, socialized to be modest. Men are socialized to be aggressive and competitive. And those show up in the Communication styles, the way in which we uh, communicate with each other. And sometimes uh, we need to break those habits. We need to get out of those stereotypical ruts and uh, uh, wake up and do it a little bit differently. And I think that's particularly true for women to be told that in order to be successful, uh, communication styles often need to change.
1: You know, one of the things is that uh, point that Al made is that by the time we're three or four years old, we have fairly hardwired habits about um, gender and uh, age and uh, skin color. And what happens is that when we, when girls make it through school and they do just as well, if not better than the boys in school, where it's very objective, you know, you fill out a a test, um, you know, you answer the questions and you either get them right or you don't. Uh, Going into the workforce is totally different. And the fact that boys grow up um, with much more team sport activities, where by the time they're four or five years old, they know they have to be nice to the to the t-ball captain if they want to get picked on the t-ball team. Um, And a girl, if you, if you really piss me off, well, I'm just not going to invite you to my birthday party. And so we learn, um, uh, we're socialized to do skills and, and behaviors that, that don't help women in, in a male, traditionally male organization. It really does hold them back.
0: Yeah. And then we go back to what we were talking about earlier and how, you know, some, guys and women for that matter are are hesitant about getting into some of these conversations because of this the socialization. So for instance if a man is being, you know, chummy with the boss, you know, and hanging out and you know going to have a beer together or having coffee, then you know that's all cool. Right. But as soon as a woman is doing it, then either she's flirting you know, she's she's trying right. to use her other assets, if you will. You know, and that may or right may not exact. be the case. But the b- fact of the matter is the perception is there. And that is how a lot of people get in trouble. And a lot of guys, uh, myself even, would never get caught alone in a room counseling or ev- doing evaluations and stuff with a female by myself. Um, now, I did that as an EOA, as an equal opportunity advisor, because it was... There was some uh, privacy there, but it was a different situation.
2: Well, I think uh, I think you put your finger on a on a problem right at the moment that we're seeing, and that is that because of the Me Too movement in particular, many men are far more reluctant to be involved with mentoring, coaching, sponsoring women on a one on one basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, really just think there's nothing in it for them uh, and only accept uh, a uh, possible risk of being viewed as <clears throat> behaving inappropriately and I think it's something that we need to find ways to combat because as I said before women need men's coaching women need the senior people in organizations to care about them and the senior people in organizations By and large are men. Yeah,
0: and I don't know that men men necessarily – well, I do. Men need women's coaching as well, especially in the workplace when you're working with other women. And there's just – the communication just needs to be more broadly open, and it's not an easy egg to crack.
2: It is not. Men and women don't like to talk to each other about gender, about things having to do with harassment, about a lot of sensitive subjects. Both sides are reluctant to enter into those conversations. You were going
0: to add to that, Andy? One of the
1: things that um, uh, can be done about that is that if organizations put – Uh, in place policies and procedures about how one would go about mentoring and sponsoring so that it is part of the job. And then it's not viewed as, you know, a side, um, uh, you know, a a frolic and a detour, basically. I've seen
0: that happen. The military, the army specifically just completely revamped their whole evaluation process. And a lot of that was taken into consideration uh, during that. And, it it helps under from a policy standpoint but still we still have this whole social norm right. and this whole social you know hesitation and and stuff like that that's still there um it just all really comes down to good communication and it, it's a <laughs> It's a long road that we're on. So let's move on. I would like to, at this point, uh, kind of pay it forward to our abundant leaders. And what I'd like to do here is really just stay on topic in reference to how do we have these conversations and how do we improve the uh, the workplace for everybody across the board?
1: One thing I would suggest is that um, there's a, a, a an interesting um, comment, which is that if you're powerful, listen more. And if you don't have the power, be sure that you speak more um, so that you, part of having a conversation is actually being willing to have a conversation. And so that's really step one. I think the next step is information is powerful and understanding about stereotypes and biases. We know we're not going to be able to just point a finger at somebody and say, don't be biased anymore, and they say, okay, yes, I figured it out, I won't be. What we need to do, though, is we need to present them with enough information that they can learn for themselves what it is that they might be able to work on to improve.
2: I think another thing, Don, is that organizations and Conversations within them are not going to really change until the senior leaders in those organizations make a concerted effort to make certain that the organizations are ready for it. We have far too many organizations that simply are not paying attention to the importance of intergender communication, women's improvement. Uh, men and women's ability to work together, and the senior leaders seem oblivious to that. So that one of our focuses has been to, uh, apart from trying to help women communicate better, men to communicate with women better, it has been to try to convince uh, the leaders of our major corporations, uh, non-profit organizations, uh, and even political parties that the very top has to say, this is important stuff. I want to be certain that my organization is at the forefront of this, that it is providing these opportunities. And we're going to do that by the fact that we're going to have the following six procedures.
0: Now, that brings up a thought that, if um are a lot of these organizations that are wanting to be in the forefront, my thought process is I was thinking about this is are they doing it in the, because they, don't, they want to prevent any issues or are they doing it because they want to be the best out there in their industry?
1: Well, there's a, th- that's a good question. It's going to depend. But I think one of the issues is that um, one of the reasons why they are paying attention to it is that there's more and more studies that come out which show that if you have diversity of ideas and diversity – um, at, um, at, uh, the decision-making process that you actually end up with better results and more profits so that you don't have to sell this on the grounds that it's the right thing to do. You can sell it on the grounds that it actually is better business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask, go through these, uh, pay it forward questions real quick. Yeah. All of you amazing small business owners out there, I want to talk to you for just a second. Are you still having fun in your business? Is it still as fun as you thought it would be two, three, four, five years ago when you first got started? Chances are, if it's not, it's because you're not making the revenue that you thought you would. You're putting more hours in than you ever imagined that you ever would put into a job. And you're just really just kind of keeping it afloat. And that's not a great way to live. I want to help you with that. I want you to have as much fun as I'm having on a daily basis. I don't know that you'll ever be able to work out of your home like I do because of the nature of your business but I want you to be able to spend more time with family and improve your health instead of degrade your health through spending more time at work, more time in the business. I want you working on your business instead of in your business. Now, if this is your first exposure to me, chances are you don't know me from anybody. And I totally get it that you would question, who is this Wally guy? What can he really do for me? So here's what I'm going to do for you, for all of you. I'm going to offer you 30 days free into two of my programs, my DIY program and my group mastermind program. I'm not going to lay it all out right here because I want to get back to the conversation. But go to menofabundance.com and click on the AP mastery tab at the top of the page I've put a short video there introducing myself and I'll put some more information there that you can evaluate and take a look at what it is that I can do for your business and look I am willing to work with you for 30 days because I am very confident of the results that I can give you in your business in the first 30 days of you working with me in fact on our first 45 minute conversation I'm gonna show you where you have ten to fifty thousand dollars hidden in your business. That's child's play for me. I'm not only gonna show you where that's at, I'm gonna give you strategies on how to uncover that money that's hidden in your business. Now you can either go to the show notes of this episode or go to menofabundance.com and click on the AP Mastery tab at the top of the page. Now let's get back to the conversation. Share once or three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today.
2: I would say the first step they can take is that when we think fast, that is, when we think reflectively, reflexively, automatically, instinctively, we allow our subjective biases to come through. So that when we're making career-affecting decisions, decisions that really will impact other people's future performance, future advancement. We need to do slow thinking. This is an idea that Daniel Kahneman, the uh, 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 psychologist that won the Nobel Prize in economics, has advanced. And what he points out is that when we find ways to think slowly, we take out of our thought processes those instinctive uh, implicit biases. And there are lots of ways we can think more slowly. We can uh, make certain that we think in uh, diverse groups, which make us uh, explain the reasons that we're reaching decisions. We can try to Uh, make decisions in a comparative way so that we're not evaluating people in a vacuum. We can make certain that the evaluations that we use are based on objective criteria as opposed to subjective uh, feel-good, she-fits-in, he-doesn't-fit-in kind of sense. So the first thing I would say that we need to do is think slow, in important situations,
1: I think that probably counts for all three of the pay-it-forwards. But um, uh, to add one to add one more is to go back to what you said, Wally, about the um, orchestras uh, selecting their um, performers behind the behind a screen so that they couldn't see um, who was the performer. In real life, it's not like you can put up a screen to uh to evaluate people but there are techniques especially in getting job interviews where if the uh the the gender or the race of the other person is is basically removed from the um from their resumes uh for for consideration miraculously there's going to be a more diverse group that's going to be invited in for
0: interviews yeah Yeah, absolutely. For sure. There's no doubt about that. I I would agree with that. So what daily habits would make up the biggest impact in your life?
1: Well, for me, I try to stay very focused and I try to um, uh, see something humorous out of things that are often anything but humorous, just not to make a joke out of it, but just to be resilient. Mm.
2: I think the biggest habit for me that, I, uh, that keeps me going is that I've made a pledge to myself that I will write at least 10 pages every day uh, of the new material. We're working on a new book at the moment, and I get up every day saying, I've got 10 pages that I've got to get down, not just words, but uh, coherent, thoughtful, insightful words, and I can't leave my desk until I do yeah, that. There
0: are so many benefits to doing that. It's just amazing. Other than your book, we're definitely going to have your book uh, linked up in the show notes, Breaking Through Biases, uh, Communication Techniques for Women to Succeed at Work. What else would you recommend that our abundant leaders read or listen to and why?
1: Well, we um, they should go to our blog, our, our website, which is www.andie A-N-D-I-E, and a n d l a l and dot com dot com and we have blogs there but we also have an assessment a 10 10 question how would you handle a gender potentially gender bias situation and it's written from the standpoint of a woman so when a man of abundance would go and take this um, uh, take the answer these questions he would do it as if he put himself in the shoes of a woman who was confronting this. And what we found is that the men who have taken this uh, assessment uh, have responded um, uh, with the most, um, you know, eye-opening, gee, I had never thought of the world from this way. And so that's uh, a shortcut way of of seeing where you're at and where you might want to work on it. And it, um, the answers cu- and your um, score basically comes back to you almost automatically and it's, um, it's uh, anonymous and, you know, it doesn't get posted any place.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. I'll definitely check that out and I'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. What do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance?
1: Fear. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to fail perfection. People people hold themselves back because they don't want to make a mistake. I think that stereotypes hold people back.
2: I think that just on, on the female side, I think that too many women have uh, what we call self-limiting biases, that they think that certain activities, certain professions, certain actions are inappropriate because I'm a woman. Well, I think that holds enormous number of women back. On the men's side, I think that men say, I should be a particular way. I have to be strong. I can't show any emotions. I cannot let my feelings out. I can't help other people because it will make me look weak. I think those are stereotypes. So I think we both hold ourselves back from being the abundant selves that we can be because we hold uh, stereotypes about what we should be like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what does living a life of abundance mean to you?
1: Well, for me, the opportunity to um, collaborate with my husband, Al, we've been married over 30 years, and to be able to collaborate with him on things that we both think are as important is really a key part of what I view as an abundant um, uh, life for myself.
2: I, I I couldn't agree more. I think abundance for me has been filling my life both with a fulfilling legal practice, but also a active uh Charitable, um, nonprofit, pro bono, and now uh, this whole new adventure for me. Uh, Abundance has been the opportunity to speak, and we 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 give workshops probably once a week uh, to women, men, organizations around the country. Uh, that is tremendously satisfying, fulfilling, and for me, it constitutes an abundant life.
0: Wow, and I have to agree 100%. You two are doing amazing, amazing work educating both men and women on their biases, how to deal with biases from both sides. I am absolutely, definitely going to get a hold of your book. Uh, because it's right up the alley of the conversations that I like to have. And, you know, just what I like to study myself and my wife as well. Uh, she's studying sociology, so it, it fits hand in hand. And we always have these conversations anyway. So anytime I can get a hold of more information from other perspectives, I'm open to it. Uh, we're going to have your book, of course, linked up in the show notes, mentioned in the show notes, your, your links you provided. And what else would you like to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation that we didn't already talk about?
2: Well, we've talked about a lot. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I think I'd uh, encourage them uh, to, uh, you know, I'd like them to think about the fact that uh, just to put in a plug that if they're with organizations and they're working on these issues, we'd be very happy to communicate with them. Pass along ideas, um, get into a dialogue as to things that their organizations could do that might uh, that they may not have thought about, uh, so that we'd like them to realize that we're a resource. We're not an expensive resource, but we're available. That,
0: absolutely wonderful, and I'm glad you, that, you, that you threw that out there too because companies are really they need a lot of work. They need a lot of help in this <laughs> arena, and it's great that you're available to do that. So. We're going to close this up. Thanks so much for your wisdom and your, all your information. Guys, get a hold of their information. It's extremely important for your workplace, for your society, for your household to understand these issues and understand what your personal biases are so that you can make those adjustments as, as needed. Both of you, thanks again for being with us, and I I want you to go out there, live your life of abundance, and continue paying it forward like you are, because I know it's making a huge difference.
1: Well, thank you so much. We've loved to be part of this, Wally.
2: We've enjoyed it very much, Wally. Thank you for having us.
1: Have a good day. Yes, you too. Bye now.
0: All right, guys. Your action step for today is to sit back and take inventory of your biases. The bias itself isn't the issue. It's the acting on the bias that is the issue. So for instance, if you're you're a boss and you're a business owner and you realize that your biases are getting in the way of your hiring practices, your promotions, your awards, your punishments, and the way you compensate your employees, then that becomes an issue. And as an abundant leader, you have to consider in your day-to-day life how your biases affect the way you communicate with people throughout the day. You know, I've actually seen people, <laughs> it's kind of comical, but it's really sad. When I see somebody who only speaks one language, trying to communicate with somebody who speaks multiple languages, and maybe English, for instance, is a little bit broken, and they feel that if they yell or if they talk slower or if they say things a little bit different, or even with, say, for instance, a Spanish accent, that they will understand and they will be able to com- communicate easier and better. This is a bias. This is a bias on their part that's saying because this person doesn't speak English properly, that they're stupid or they're slow or they can't communicate well. When the fact of the matter is the individual speaks two, at least two, three, four, maybe even five different languages and can communicate in all of those languages. There are biases of when you're walking down the street and you see somebody who's questionable to you and you maybe guard your children or go to the other side of the street just to avoid confrontation or eye contact or even being close to that individual, say maybe a homeless person or somebody of a different skin color, race, or even the way that they're dressed. Those are just a few examples of your biases affecting your behavior. So this is a two-part action step today. Number one, take inventory of your biases. And number two, get around people that those biases are geared towards. So for instance, either go get into a Facebook group, go get into a community group, face-to-face, imagine that. Or even something less evasive like picking up a book and reading a book about something you wouldn't normally read about that's kind of uncomfortable for you. And see for yourself what those people are really like. Because your biases are based on fabrications that are part of your upbringing. Rather, it was taught to you by your parents. It was taught to you by your church or media or movies. We talk about this all the time, guys, here on Men of Abundance. About how all of these communities and the movies and the media, they all shape our biases. And they tell us things like, everybody from Columbia is a drug lord or all people from the Middle East are terrorists, or all white people think this way, and all black people think this way, and so on and so forth. It's just ridiculous. So I invite you to expand your mind and get around people that you wouldn't normally hang around and see what they're really like. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward.